Boom. Here we are at the Ground Zero Life Without Limits podcast. And today, my guest is Shane Fisher. Now, look, we've had a bit of discussion about how we're going to introduce this bloke today. And is he a media mogul? Is he an influencer? He's got online businesses and all the rest of it. The reason me and Shane connected originally was I seen, I followed him. I seen that he followed other people that I follow on Instagram. And he put a post up that really struck home with me and it was to do with mental health. And I'm just going to literally at the minute now, I'm going to stop waffling. I'm going to pass over to Shane and I'll let him start us off. So hi, mate. mate. How's it going? Very good. Thank you for the, uh, the invitation. That's I don't cool. Know if, uh, I don't know if I'm going to allow the uh, influencer media mogul thing to stick, to be honest, mate. I, th- I, think, I think the majority of people still know me as managed bars and clubs in Magaluf. That was... Uh, that's the majority of contacts now. I mean, even though I haven't done that for about six years now, but it's uh, yeah, tend to be more known than that, to be fair. But, mate, anybody who's out there and they're on Instagram and they follow all these celebrities like Alex Cannon and all the rest of the people that are out there, you, if you look through the pictures of these guys, you are normally dropped in there with these guys hanging out. And the odd Geordie Shaw personality. Over the years, I've seen you with these guys looking bronzed and beautiful. And uh, I just thought, man, this guy's got some pretty high-profile friends. He's like hanging out. He's at like <laughs> decent clubs. He's drinking. He's on yachts with like Jay, Jim King, and all the rest of these guys. So that's why I kind of get the influencer thing. Slash, you do some amazing videos online about everything from mental health to hair, hair implants. <laughs> the list is endless, really, to what you talk about. <laughs> And man, I love listening to them and they have great impact on people. But I mean, mate, if you just want to tell people your story, who you are, how old you are, a bit of stats and take it from there, really, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I suppose, the, again, we all live our wonderful life through Instagram, don't we? But uh, Alex Cannon will thank you for the plug. He's, he's the big celebrity that I'm connected with. Obviously, Alex used to work out here. Um, I mean, look, a lot of the, a lot of the connections and anything I know you're talking about, it's, it's related to what I used to do. So obviously, I, I'm, well, I'll go back. I tend to be in Mallorca um, in '99, and which is where I live now. Uh, so I've been here now 21 years, but I only came here for a lads' holiday. So I came, you know, we'd, we'd done the sort of we'd done Cavos for two weeks, we'd done Falaraki the year after, and then you know the the, the next lads' holiday was Magaluf. So it was just a random booking. At the time, I was um, I was working at McDonald's, so I'd left college just completely bewildered, didn't have a clue what I was doing, took college in early because I just got lost in it, thinking well, I'm wasting my time. Um, so I was working at a part-time job, turned into a full-time job, went on holiday to Magaluf, where you randomly. From, where are you from, mate? Just to kind of butt in, so just so people know, where, where in the UK are you actually from? So you went to college, where, where, where are you from? Like? I'm from Hull. Colin Yorkshire, so that's where obviously I'm, up and up until that point, that's that's where I'd been. I didn't know anything else, you know. So still living at home with my mum and dad at the time. Um, so yeah, I went from Hull, went with a load of lads who we play football with. I think it was 27 lads. We all went on holiday to Magaluf, and I, I, well, the way it happened was I actually went. You know, when you're on a bar crawl with that many lads, you know, obviously there's a lot of drink involved and everything else. And and we'd been in this bar that we'd been in every night. I've gone to toilet, come out of the toilet, and the lads have all gone. Right, <laughs> and 
weird that you'll see what I'm saying this in a minute, yeah? So I've come out of this bar. We've all had that happen. It just does your head that. Exactly. Exactly. So I've come out of this bar and I'm thinking, right, they've either gone one of two places. That's where we've been going every night at this time. So they've gone in Car Wash, which is a club down the street, or they've gone in Boomerang. So I had that decision to make, right? So I thought, right, I'm going to go have a look in Boomerang. And the reason I'm saying this, because I walk to go to Boomerang now on my own, where normally we're with, I'm not saying there's always 27 lads left at that time of night, but you're always a good crowd of you. Yeah? So we've gone walking into this club and there's a little Spanish man stood at the doorway. And um, I'm, I'm 19 years old. I'm just hoping I get in, you know what I mean? So I'm walking up to the club and this little guy puts his hand up and he says, hey, you, stop there. And I'm like, you know, oh, Jesus, like, you know, <laughs> eh, where do you work? And I was like, it like completely threw me. Like, I mean, anybody who's done results will know what a worker is now or resident is, but when he, where'd you work? And I was like, McDonald's. <laughs> he was like, no, no, no. And he was like, I know you, I know your face. You, you, you work in, in, in Magaluf. I know which bar. And I, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And I was like, I said, no, no. I said, I said I'm with my friends. I said, I'm, I'm just trying to find my friends. I said, I said, we, we go home on Tuesday. And he was like, it was really random anyway. The long story short of that is he was looking for staff. So he was like, do you like it here? And I was like, well, everybody likes it here. And he was like, well, if you want a job, I'll give you a job. And I was like, you know when you're like, you're half pissed anyway. And I was like, what is that guy? All I'm, all I'm thinking is, can I get in your club? You know what I mean? I'm just like, can I come down the stairs? So I was like, oh, no, listen, thanks, but no thanks. You know, we're, we go home on Tuesday. Um, but it's a whole like kind of kind of go in now, and the security is laughing at me, and he just waved me through. So I've gone down the stairs, found all the lads, had the night out, and it wasn't until the next day I woke up on well, woke up, but we're on the beach, yeah. And you know when you're sort of looking around, and I started telling a couple of the lads, and I was like, I said, I said, I kind of got offered a job last night. And as I'm saying it, I'm looking around. I'm on the beach now, right? And I'm in the sun. And I, I always loved holidays, yeah. And you know, like you get. To the, I mean, even with my group of lads, you got to the end of two weeks, and they were always the ones that couldn't wait to get back. They were sick of it. They're missing people. I wanted. I was crying on the way back every holiday, right? I did not want to come back, yeah. So I'm thinking, like, is this guy serious? So I've gone back. I said to the lads, listen, if that guy remembers me tonight. Yeah, I'm going to speak to him and see what that was, right? So, and they're like, yeah, whatever. By the way, Shane, but, how old was you at this time? Like, what's, what's your generation? 19. 19, 19. cool. Yeah, so just, just you know, baby-faced kid away with all the football lads on, on holiday, yeah? So I said, right, if, if this guy remembers me, I'm going to speak to him because I want to know what this is about, you know what I mean? Like, like, is he serious? But, of course, if he just ignores me and I walk past, then he's offering the job to everybody. So I walked in on the night and I said, I said um, I've walked in with the lads, didn't say anything. Next thing he's looked, I'm now with a big group of lads and he's gone, hey, you want this fucking job or what? <laughs> so I was like, what? And anyway, mate, as mad as that sounds, like I stood there speaking to him for half an hour, what happens and everything else. Um, I had four days left to convince one out of 27 lads to stay with me because I, I had it in my head now and I was like, I'm going to do it girlfriends, jobs, million different reasons, some thinking about it, some very close to some still regret it now. And it wasn't until the last day I went and spoke to the holiday rep because we was on a 20s holiday at the time. And I said, look, what? Because, you know, when you don't know these things, I was like, what happens if I don't get on the flight? Because to me, that was a massive deal. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in a country. At the end of the day, you're like a bit wet behind your ears, isn't you? You aren't worldly. You oh, kind yeah. of don't know what's going on. You're still living home with mum. It's all like, 
people are asking you questions, but you don't actually have the tools to deal with what's going on around you in a way like, you know? And don't forget, mate, this isn't Instagram time. This isn't Facebook time. None of that social media exists, right? So it's not like you're seeing pictures every day of mates working abroad. That just, I didn't even know anybody who worked in a different country, yeah? So I spoke to the rep and he, he just like laughed at me. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, when you want to get home, you jump on a different flight. Like, he said, you know, it's not a big deal. He says, and he said, why? And I said, oh, I've kind of been offered a job in, um, in a club in Magaluf. And he said, which one? I said, Boomerang. He went, oh, I sound, we all love it in there. He said, do it. And so this is the last day, right? And we're packing. We're, we're packing to go out. And I'm still like, and then I just said, I'm going to do it. And I just turned around to my mate, my mate Paul, who I was rooming with, and I said, listen, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to stay. And he says, like, he looked at me, I'm just, yeah, whatever. And he carried on packing. I said, mate, I, I think I'm going to stay. <laughs> so it was like, we've gone around all the lads, and then we've gone downstairs, and they're all waiting for the transfer. And he's gone, he said, this idiot, he's not getting on the bus. And all the lads are like, yeah, whatever. And he, he said, he's not getting on the bus. Like, he's staying, yeah. And, and I'm a little bit excited, but I'm a little bit like, you know, a bit swept away in it. And I thought, I just, something told me like to just, just do it. Did you even know you were going to stay at this point? Where the hell was you going to stay? What he told me, what, what the guy told me. So I missed I, I When I spoke to him for that half an hour, I said, listen, what would happen if I took the job? He said, have your holiday. When your friends go home, he says, you come here on Tuesday night with your suitcase. I'll give you a job and I'll give you an apartment. <laughs> so that's all I knew. Yeah, I didn't know anything else. I didn't have the guy's number. I didn't know how to get in touch with him. I just knew I'd just send to the club. But this is now obviously the afternoon. This is like early, just after lunch. Yeah. I couldn't imagine there was aircon in this apartment back then. I couldn't imagine it. Oh, right mate, it, it, listen, anybody who knows the area, it was Gil and Gabada. It's actually listed as a hostel now, right? So this, I mean, this is where we were staying then, sorry, the holiday. So anyway, the lads are there. Get through that bit. They've all now got 27 lads. They're all like, right. They're all opening the suitcase and now they're going back to the rooms and getting all the toiletries, what they've left over. So you got after sun, sun cream. I had like a bin liner full of toiletries, right? They're like, right, there you go. Then one of the older lads, he was like, right, we've got to make sure he's all right. Give me your pesetas. It was pesetas. So he went around the whole group and said, who's got pesetas left? Right, there you go, fish. There's your flight home. If any, you know, it, it was like that. Yeah. I'm all like buzzing, but I watched that bus drive away and I'm thinking, Oh shit! Like, like I'm now. I'm just stuck. Right? I'm like, you what have I done? mobile back then. I mean, because mate, nothing, nothing. Nah, because I'm thinking back. Like, I'm going back. Say, nothing. Seventeen, eighteen years ago, when I used to go out, I'm thinking I never went out with a mobile. I don't know if I even had one. I might nothing, have knocked your brick, but it literally lived in the drawer at home because you never got no signal nowhere on it. So <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I went. Well, listen. I went. You're saying that, yeah? I went to um, a payphone on the street. In that afternoon, I had three phone calls. I had a handful of pesetas, and I had three phone calls I had to make. One was to my mum and dad to say I'm not coming back. One was to my ex-girlfriend at the time to say I'm not coming back. We'd only been together a few months. I had to ring her. I love that. And one was my, and one was my boss at McDonald's. So I literally I had to put all these coins in. I had wrote all the phone numbers down. So, and then I made these phone calls. My... Obviously, McDonald's just had to take it, you know, handed you notice and went through the procedures. My ex-girlfriend wasn't very happy. My mum, like, basically, when I said I'm not coming home, she, she, she said, what do you mean? And, and like, once she went, she went quiet, and then she was like, well, who are you staying with? When I said nobody, she threw the phone at my dad. She didn't want to speak to me. She just kind of oh, accepted that. Was God, I can imagine it now. Yeah, mate. So, that, anyway, so, yeah, that, so all these things different. Fast forward, turned up at the club on the night with my suitcase, absolutely shitting myself now. I'm like, it's all, you know, it's all lights and there's all these people. I didn't know anybody. So I'm walking in with 27 lads, but when you're on your own 
Um, and he, he was there and he just said, right, listen, he said to me, have you, have you worked behind a bar before? I said, never. And he went, Bleh. so now he's shut down thinking, oh my God, does he think I was a barman? <laughs> so then he said, have you filled before? I said, yeah. And he says, right, I'm going to give you a trial behind the bar. If you're good, you get the job. If you shit, you can fuck off home. <laughs> and I was like, oh you my. You don't know the lingo, I'm guessing. You don't know the lingo <laughs> at all. And you no. don't even know the currency. So I'd imagine all no. these things are fighting against you. Do you know what I mean? Nothing. So he threw me in behind this bar. Um, never went behind a bar in my life. Obviously, I've served on a till at McDonald's and I want that, you know, half a brain on me. But I, I, there was a girl from Chile, hardly spoke any English. She trained me up how to work the till, how to make some drinks. And But you know what? Once I went in there, I put my suitcase in the store, because I still haven't been to the apartment. I put my suitcase in the cupboard, right, in the storeroom. And I've gone on the bar. But you know what? As soon as them lights came on and, and the music started playing, I just knew I need to make this work. I just got a buzz off it, like instantly, like literally instantly. And, and that was it, mate. And listen, that, that nightclub from that, and that's why I talk about losing the lads, because I genuinely, you know, the sliding doors. If I didn't walk out of that, if I hadn't walked into that club on my own, there's no way he's going to pick you out of a group of 20 lads. But because I lost the lads and I went there on my own, I got offered that job. And going forward from there, I spent 11 years working at that club. And four years later, I was the general manager of the club. So it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Mate, do, you know why, do you know why I love this story? And I just want to jump in there for a minute. That when I was about 16, 17, I left school and all the rest of it. And I, I remember you had Sky back then, but it wasn't great. And you literally just had a couple of channels on the music channel. And I used to always, always, it was my dream to go to Ibiza. Like, I always yeah. wanted to go. And this is back in, like, the early, like, 2000, 2001, I'm thinking now. And, like, it was, and I never had no one to go. And there was no, like, like you say, there was no, I'll do your online banking if you needed money from mum or dad or click <laughs> and pay with your phone or no. And, and it made it a lot more scarier. And where I lived in Cornwall, you know, friendship groups are a lot more spread out than the city. So there wasn't anyone you could say, oh, please come with me. I've got this dream to go. And I just love that part of your story because it's something I think, looking back, everybody wishes they'd done in some way. What you're yeah, talking about I... now, I think everybody wishes they'd done that. I mean, just think of it, young lad, the women that must have been there, the people from all around <laughs> the world, just the experience, mate. Honestly, I love that part of your story. It's amazing. It was just crazy, mate, because, I mean, you can imagine my lads who was on that holiday with me, especially. So the lads who was on holiday with me, obviously, then every year was coming back to see me. And every year I was more established in Magaloff and, and I knew people. But I mean, listen, that first week, I, 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 I was crying when I was going home. I was like, I was eating on my own. I was going, no, I, I can do these things. I don't care. I, I prefer to sit on my own a lot of the time. But back then... One meal a day, going into that one meal a day, that was it. I was going into Tom Brown's restaurant, I think. I was sat there on my own, my down, like eating a little steak and chips and then going to work. But because I worked with a girl from Chile, I hadn't made any friends. Like, she was the only one behind the bar. And I'm like, oh, God, this is horrible. And I remember after, I'd been there three nights and I walked home after work. And back then, the Guardia Sevilla was very rough, like really rough, yeah? And it, the streets was pretty rough at the time. And I remember I walked back and... On the way to the apartment, I could see old flashing lights and cars and what we all know them as lucky, lucky men. Yeah, the Africans on the street that sell all the sunglasses and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a group of Gradi Seville stood around three African guys on the floor and they had battered these guys. There was blood and it was just not nice. And I, mm -hmm. I went back on that night and I sat there on my balcony and I cried. 
And I thought, what, where am I? Like, what have I done? I don't even have any friends here. And I'm like, I'm going to have to tell everybody it didn't work. The day after, I went into work and I got put on a different bar. And he says, right, you're working over on that bar. And I was now working with an English kid called Ian. And Ian's he's on my Facebook. I found him not long ago. And literally, that changed everything. He was like, we got on. He was like, what are you doing tomorrow? All the workers are off to the water park. And all of a sudden, I was in this workers' world where, shit, you know, there's loads of Brits in, in, in this town yeah, and they yeah. all go out and, and that was it. And, and from that point, I never looked back. Mate, I just love that. But fast forwarding forward then on a bit from this, yeah. what, where was your ambitions? Did you have any ambitions back then? Like, did you have outlook outside the club? Like you say, you became the manager. Obviously, like you became quite well known within Magaloo for what you did. You had a good, mm. strong friendship connection. Was you cu coming back and forth from England a lot over these periods or just forgetting the whole thing? Because obviously... Yeah, I mean, like, like your first couple of years, your first couple of years, you're working behind the bar. So, so I, I went behind the bar, then it was bar manager, then it was promotions manager, then it was general manager. So, of course, with each step of that, there's an increase in money. But for the first two years, you're not earning anything, really. You're just living. You know, you pay your rent. Um, you have a bit of food and you go home with nothing then you work in the winter so he was always straight back to Hull load of stories to tell all the lads you know it was always like they used to take the piss because you'd be like oh every time you come home it's a big night out because you're home then it's your birthday then you clear off again um, <laughs> but, but it was great you know what I mean you had like your celebrity weekend we call it when you first go back and then, then they all get sick of your stories anyway um, but so, so when it, initially you're not earning the money but then once I got promotions manager and then all of a sudden the cash was good. And, but if I'm, I realized very early on, this lifestyle suits me and I like this. Yeah. Now there's loads of kids will do these jobs and just be like, I'm going to get as pissed as I can. I'm going to shag everything that moves and I'm going home at the end of the year and I don't even know if I'm coming back. I took the job differently. I knew I was going back to McDonald's, right? Because <laughs> in whole, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Never had a clue. Nothing. Not any. Whatever I said to a careers guy, I, was, I just made it up. You know, physiotherapist or any idea. So I just thought, right, I'm going to... Yeah, so I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take the job seriously. I'm going to take the job seriously because I can earn a bit of money. And then in the winter, I started traveling. And that's when the lifestyle really got sold to me because I realized that if I got my head down in the summer, that I worked hard, still lived the life, but the winter, we then started traveling the world. And, and then it was amazing. You know what I mean? So, so from my 20s, it was unbelievable. Just, just, just loved it. Mate, just, just stop. Just stop right there because I'd imagine yeah. there's going to be loads of people all of a sudden thinking, man, I would love to be Shane Fisher back when there was no social media, there was no <laughs> mobile phones, right? It, I mean, I just... You probably lived the best time there was to live through that period. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I know we touched at the beginning about mental health. I mean, just to get, mm. drop into that quickly, what was your mental health like over these years? Because obviously, there is a lot of partying, drinking, things maybe associated with that. Was your mental health good for all those periods, like between nineteen and thirty, say? Nineteen, I'd say nineteen and twenty-nine. Yes, and, and that's a, that was a very specific there. Um, and, and I think that I, I was, if I'm honest with you, look, but my, in my family, there's a history of depression, but I've never thought about it or understood it or understood what it was. And now I look back on it, I realise that from the age of 19 to 29, I lived a very charmed life. Without understanding depression, I was doing everything you're supposed to do to counter it, if you like. You know, loads of sunshine. 
I was always outside, you know, I was always in a good mood. And if I'm honest with you, the drink, I've never done drugs in my life. And a lot of people don't believe that. So I never went down that route at all. Mm -hmm. my, to me, when I was in Magaluf, it, I was there for the money. So don't get me wrong, we had lots of nights out, but I wasn't one of them drinking every night at all, really. And that's why I think why I ended up being there so long. Because, um, you, you know, it's very seasonal if you're going to, which a lot of lads do, just get on it every night. Yeah? Totally. And that probably kept you more just dropping in on you there a minute. That probably kept you on a better level plane where you were able to see things clearly than think, oh my God, I got the worst hangover in the world. I feel like crying into my mother's arms. Do you know what I mean? Like we all... Most of them did, which most of them did. And if I'm honest, what happened was it, it, the, the Spanish guys that I worked for weren't used to that. They was used to, and, and back, back then, if you went back to 2000, 2001, there was no British managers in the resort. There weren't any. Like, they, they ended up, me and a couple of guys that I, I knew very well, we then became managers. But at the time, it was unheard of. All they knew was British, come, they're going to get pissed and you never see them again. They're going to let you down. They're going to go on three-day benders. So it was yeah, a real yeah. reluctance. It was a job. So we ended up doing that. So yeah, so basically I did that for a long time. When I got to 29, now I've done a lot of traveling, a lot of seasonal work. And now I'm thinking, shit, like I've got no kids. I've got no house. <laughs> and I don't know what it was. I was like, I'm 30 next birthday. I was like, I need to sort my shit. 29 and you were just like, where am I going? Yeah. I've got no kids and I've got yeah, no yeah, home yeah. and all the rest of it. So what, what went from there after that season? Okay. Yeah. So, like I say, so I'm, I'm I don't know why it affects, and I, th I think it affects a lot of people. That that third, I don't know why thirty seems to be such a thing, right? It's like in your twenties, yeah, I can do what I want. I'm traveling. I'm spending. My, you know, we, we was we called ourselves winter millionaires because there was a few lads in town that had very good money. You know, one of the kids I went traveling with, he owned a strip club, and we just ended the summer with a pocket full of cash, and we would just say, right, where are we going? And it would be Australia or Vegas, wherever, India, Thailand, we just traveled, yeah? But I, I, that 30 thing hit me. And I, I was like, every time I was going home, like your mates are having kids and, and they're buying houses. And I'm like, well, I've got all these stories, but I've got nothing else to show for this. I'm like, shit, I need to grow up. And I, I don't know, I just went through a funny period where I got offered a few businesses. Uh, I got offered to go into shares with a bar with a very good friend of mine at the time, um, a partnership in a bar, but I earned very good money in the club, so I didn't want to leave the club. So I basically became a silent partner in a bar in a different resort. Um, I bought a takeaway from my mum, who was now living in Mallorca at the, at the time. So I, I took on this takeaway and rented, and that was the idea to give my mum a business, like a nighttime takeaway thing. Yeah, yeah. We was running football tournaments, and we opened a smoothie bar with three different partners. So I, And I did all this in the space of about two months, right? I just So it was almost like... I need a business, you know, I need, I need something and, and every opportunity. Everything, just so I can oh, tell everyone man. that I've actually got something. Was it kind of like... Exactly. And, and listen, I, and I vividly remember, I got so excited about it all. It was like, right, I now own a bar. I now own this and I've set my mum up in business. And like, listen, I, I'm, I'm 12 years on from that now. I'm a lot more experienced in business. But at the time, every mistake you could have made, I've made. I got so excited that, you know, the idea was in and that was it. We was going to sell smoothies all over there. I, I went to England and did a course, a smoothie course thing. <laughs> and I just spent fortunes, mate. And I remember, very, very vividly remember, I emailed my uncle, right? It was a really successful guy. I, and I, we didn't even speak at the time hardly but I just had to email him and hi Roy how are you doing I'm doing this 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 and this and it was like as if I wanted to wave a flag and say I'm doing amazing and mate it literally all just crashed I mean that was 2006 yeah so 
exactly but this this was at the time when i was like right i need to do something yeah so anyway in that time we all know 2006 2008 was the last recession we all understand what's happening now but that was the recession that everybody talked about 2008 so in 2008 i lost the bar my mum's takeaway, we had to close the smoothie business. We sold what machines and everything we had left. And it was almost like I'd gone from my 20s feeling completely invincible to just crashing down around me and, and really like, shit, you know what I mean? Like, like, what is going on here? And it was a really weird. I didn't understand it at the time, but it, yeah, it really hit me hard that. Um, think- so, yeah, that, that was the start of experiencing mental health issues, I think. Do you think in a way, Shane, that there's... Uh, stigmatism to how we should live so to me you to me personally uh, and a bit like you now getting older and looking back in hindsight you were living everybody's dream right in reality you didn't even need to change what you were doing maybe you just needed to like buy a place there and then find someone that you wanted to commit to and literally they're the only simplicities you needed to change but because there's this there's this undercurrent in the world where you have to get engaged. You have to get married. You have to have two kids by the time you're this. You have to have like X, Y, Z and whatever qualifications and all the rest of it. Because you didn't live up to what that is almost like a, like a like a British view of how you should be. That kind of dragged you into that world because in reality, what you were doing was perfect. Yeah. Well, you just oh, you froze on the screen, but you're back. And. Um, yeah, listen, 100%. And the weird thing is now, I look back at it now and laugh at myself because I've educated myself so much on depression and anxiety and everything else because, and I look back at it and, and, and I just fall into that trap. And absolutely, we do look at, I mean, look what I was saying to you because I was turning 30. What, what the hell, what difference does that make? Really, you know, looking back now, it, it's funny, really, because that means absolutely nothing. When I, when I was 39 hitting 40, I didn't really give a shit. <laughs> and, and that's 10 years on. So it's like, I'm like, I'm not in a rush. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a bit clear on where I'm going. So yeah, 100%, mate, you start to look at what you're supposed to be doing. And there is that weird thing where you, you almost think I've lived a charmed life. Am I, should I be doing this? You know what I mean? Is this wrong? And um, why is everybody else doing these? And, and listen, I used to go back in the winter and I love my group of lads to bits. But a lot of them I used to look at and think, Jesus, what I've done in the last 10 years and these guys are still sat in the same pub and working in the same jobs, a lot of them. And, and listen, some of them are happy with that. Fair play, do you know what I mean? I'm not preaching to anybody because not everybody wants to do what I did. But for me, I just knew that wasn't for me. But yeah, we absolutely, we, we conform to society, mate. And we do put pressure on ourselves with the house and the car. And really, if I hadn't have had those thoughts, I would have just carried on and, and been completely fine. But yeah, it, it led to me two years later having a very, very... Um, low incident may were resulting in me, me trying to take my own life. So really, really hit a low point. So if we say, so what year are we talking about when everything came crashing down around you? Did your mum stay out in, in Mallorca, in Magaluf? She, there, did for, she did for a few years longer. We did for a few years longer. So I lost the bar. We closed the bar in 2008. Okay. So then there was a couple of years after that where you, you're in a big debt. Um, and, it, and it's not just a debt. It was just that whole like... I don't know if it, people who's opened the business for the first time, they'll, they'll understand that excitement. When you, if you haven't got the experience, you do not think for one minute this isn't going to work. You think this is it. 
I've now made it. You know, it's all like, how am I going to spend the extra money? Do you know what I mean? Even if we only make this, I'm like, I've got my job, and then it's going. That one's going to. All been now. I've been bankrupt, um, so you know, I totally understand. Lost everything, so I know exactly what it's like. So that took me through to. But I was still working at Boomerang at the time, right? So I was still earning money. I was still earning good money. In 2009, I got offered a job in a bar down the street. And I'd never worked anywhere else in all this time. So 11 years I've been in the same club. I got offered to Joe manage a bar called The Red Lion. Um, and a ridiculous offer. Like, like he just, the money he put on the table. I mean, we, we was earning like in, in excess of six, 7,000 euros a month, right? To manage a bar in Magalov. So What's you've got people looking. What's that things for people? What, what does that convert to, to British? Financially, you, you're, you're talking over 5,000 pound a month, minimum cash in your hand right for eight months of the year and people viewed you as when are you going to get a proper job I'm, I was earning twice the most of my mates you know what I mean at the, at the time it was I mean, cash you know this was cash taken home in your pocket what was your daily so, working and, day like I mean like just so people understand I mean was it hard work did you sleep quite late in the day was you starting at 10 at night and finishing at six in the morning just to give people an idea of your general lifestyle like what was your day made up of the nightclub, which I did first, it, it was my, my lifestyle was terrible, really, because it, I would I just got completely consumed by the work. So the nightclub was you would start work at quarter to eleven at night, and then you would finish at six in the morning. But because I, I got such a bee in my bonnet about building this club up, and I wanted it to be what, what I thought it could be, I was out in the afternoons. Uh, I was working with, so I would basically go to bed, say eight nine o'clock in the morning. Then you would get up at one o'clock, you would go work for a few hours with the daytime PR team, you'd go back, you'd get some food, you'd go to sleep for an hour, two hours. Then I would go around all the bars doing my promotional bit for the club, trying to get people sending us people and build the relationship with the clubs. And then I'd go do my shift at 11 o'clock. This is seven so you days a week, just so people know. This yeah. is seven days a week through the whole Hold season. On. Yeah, seven days a week. So, so it's like you say, it was... But to me, that was, that was work, that was job. But I, I never begrudged it because that was keeping me away from Hull and away from that no offense to Hull but that that was what kept me in the sun yeah do you totally. know what I mean yeah totally and, totally. and I enjoyed the job fitness? was you into fitness or anything back then was just no time for all that type of thing like no no you know what I was I, I was when whenever I had time I always did try and go to the gym and, and a lot of the lads used to laugh because they you know they'd, they'd be on the piss till whatever time in the morning and I'd be the one going to do a bit in the gym you know what I mean I, I was always quite conscious of that I, I was I'm always skinny you know what I mean I was always very paranoid about being skinny so I trained to try and put some muscle on whereas obviously a lot of people train to lose weight <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so time-wise, mate, that took you to 2009. So 2010, I started a new job. 2010, 2011, got in a relationship. But of course, I had all these debts and things hanging over me. And if I'm honest with you, I think it was the relationship that suddenly made me start to think, right, now I'm, I'm 32. Right? I'm like 32. And I realized more than ever that, you know, she's looking forward. She, she's like, look, you know, for the future, and what we're going to do? And I'm like, I've got nothing to offer. I'm, I'm like, I don't own a house. I've got 40 grand's worth of debt, I think, hanging over me. Um, uh, and I'm like, I'm just a bar manager in Magaluf. And, and I let that consume me. And what, what, this, what this came to is, you know, New Year's Eve, um, at the end of 2011, we've gone back to the UK completely. And I didn't know what depression was. Honestly, I, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know I had it. Didn't have, I didn't know what the symptoms were. And I went from... Arguing with the missus before we went out, uh, a lot of people do. Yeah. Arguing, getting ready. Went for a night out in Newcastle, met up with friends. Drink was obviously flowing as it does. We had an argument in the club. 
And I left the club. This is after midnight now. I left the club on my own without telling anybody. I went back to a hotel room in Newcastle on my own, not thinking at all on the way of what I was going to do. But I got back to the hotel and I just had some sort of crazy, just, just breakdown, mate. And, and I got in the hotel room and I remember being in the bathroom angry with myself that we'd been arguing you know stomping about the room I've gone back into the bathroom and I just remember looking at myself in the mirror just like what what is this all for you're going nowhere you're wasting your time you're wasting everybody else's and all of us I was consumed with you're wasting everybody else's time you're a waste of space this is going nowhere you've lived your life now it's now it's time to jump off while it because all I could see going forward was a dip I, I, I saw the debt getting worse I saw my lifestyle getting worse and I thought get out now just get out now and, and it, really quickly them thoughts came to me and I don't know why um do you think and I the drink really fueled it I mean just to touch on for people it's a big a big yeah I, I say I said a lot I said in the post what I put that I, I don't believe I would have done that sober I, I think the drink yeah stripped away that sort of um it does it does for people and there's times when people have said to me and why did you give up drinking for four years and I was like well you know, I knew that every time I'd go out and get on a, night, I was never just, a, I'd never sit at home and have a beer. I was like, I either go out, out or nothing at all. But yeah, out, yeah, out yeah. results in a massive anxiety type hangovers. Yeah. And, you know, like, and it would put you into these places, you know, that you really you didn't need to go. So, and I can tell I can kind of get the fact that you would drink and I thought some crazy shit through people don't realize they think maybe you're on drugs, but you're not drink and having certain types of drinks, man, they can really send you in some weird shit places like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just to touch on that. So you're in this room, you're telling yourself all this stuff and what, what's going on from there onwards. Uh, listen, I, I, I put a very lengthy post on this, so I won't go into too much graphic detail on here, but I, I called it the perfect storm because I, I just view, like I say, alcohol being one of the elements, but there was a few things that happened in that room that resulted in, in what I did next. And purely by chance, I've looked across the room and on the side of the bath, there's my girlfriend's razor. My girlfriend's razor, you know, shaving the legs before she went out as, as they do. And for whatever reason, I, I just looked at this razor, I looked back at myself in the mirror and I just said, well, you know, are you actually going to do something about this then? Or are you just talking shit? And it was like a challenge with myself. It was like, you're either just going to carry on, you know, uh, what's the point and all that? Or are you actually going to do something about it? And before I had any more time to think about it, I'd already grabbed the razor. I'd broke the, the blades out of the razor. I'd smashed it on the side and broke the blades out. And I've, I've now got the blades in my hand thinking, well, I don't even know what, what, how do you do this? Do you know what I mean? Everybody talks about cutting your wrist and things. And I, I was like, well, so I've still got a scar on my arm, high up my arm, which is nothing to do with my wrist. And what that is from is I took the razor and thought, I wonder if it's sharp enough. And I ran it along my arm, higher up my arm, and it cut straight. And I just remember thinking, right, oh, shit, yeah, it's definitely sharp enough, right? Yeah, yeah. As, as, as crazy as that sounds. And then that was it. I, I just, I remember like literally glaring at myself in the mirror. There was like an anger in me, but then all of a sudden it was a real calm. I was like, right, well, this is it. This, this is what you need to do. This is the answer. Yeah. And, and it's, it's scary looking back now, yeah? And I literally took the razor blade, and I remember thinking is you have to make this work. Like, I'm not going to be, I'm, I don't want to get found with scratches on my, on my wrists. Like, you know, I'm not self-harming. I'm not, it was like, this has to work. And, and I just dug the blade as hard as I could into my arm, one, two, three times. And then I, I don't even know how I managed to hold the blade, but I hold the blade in, in my left hand now with, with all the blood there. And I went at my right wrist, and one, two, three again. 
and I can't remember which which wrist it was, but one of them, the artery went, and you know when it, it's almost like, you know, I don't want to go too graphic, but literally, yeah, 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 I'm man, talking. Totally, like, you know, you just, it's your story, Shane. You, you just tell what you want to tell, bro, and everyone's going to listen to it. So, so look, I'm stood there with with three huge wounds on my wrist. I've got an artery cut, and and there is blood running down the bathroom walls, like five foot away from me. You know, it's like a film where you see that 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 spare, and I was like. But I, I didn't panic. There, there was no like shit. I need to go get help. And there was just you like right, you've done that slowed now. Slowed down, like people will say. Yeah, mate, yeah, definitely, slowed definitely slowed down. It, it was. I was very calm, too calm. If I, if I'm honest with you. Um, and but I also remember thinking, well, what happens now? Like I'm still here. Yeah. How long does this now take? So I'm, I've gone into the bedroom now. So I've walked out the bathroom. I'm wandering around, thinking, you know, there's just blood running everywhere. So I was like, right, well. Okay, I'm still here. I'm feeling a bit weak, but I'm still here. How long does it take? And I actually got my phone out, and I, I wish to this day I kept these videos, but I made two videos after doing that, by the way. One video was to my girlfriend, and one video was to my family. And she watched them the next day. And, and it, it, it's crazy how calm I was speaking and how I was speaking like, you don't have to worry about me anymore. I'm fine. I just want you all to be, you know, it's frightening now to think that you get in such a state where you convince yourself that this is right. This is doing your family a favor. And, and it's horrific. Uh, but obviously the next day we just deleted these videos. So I, I'd sat there, mate. And, and, you know, I don't want to go about, about this too long, but I got to the point where I was like, right, I need to speed this up. So I put myself on the bed, I prop my feet up, I put my hands off the bed to, to elevate my feet and let the blood flow. I'm That's how adamant I was. Black out at this point. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of people yeah. out there that, do you know what I mean? We all have accidents and you never want to look. Like I got my hand trapped no. scaffolding a while ago no. and literally I thought my finger had pulled off in the glove. And I remember thinking, until I get off the scaffold, I ain't looking because for some reason, if I black out on the scaffold, it's going to be a nightmare yeah. for anyone to get me off. So yeah, I managed yeah, to get yeah. down before I looked. But it, what you're trying to say, it is madness. Because in a way, you didn't black out. You were calm. You were able to do both wrists. You were able to make videos. And, and, the, and the thing that I grabbed out of that story, as you told it, is the fact you didn't want to be a cry for help person. And I think yeah. that's where your mind had switched from the cry for help. Oh, I've done wrist. I've done one wrist. Let's ring my mum. Let's ring an ambulance. You were like, no. you were way past that point. I no. locked myself in the room to, to make sure nobody came in in the middle of it. I, I obviously my girlfriend was still out. I knew she was going to be coming home. Um, and you know, in these hotel doors, you get that sort of metal bar, you know, like the chain on the other side. Yeah. So I put that across. So you're not getting in. And I knew nobody's coming in. And, and, and listen, of course, and there'll be a lot of people watching this. There's always that thing about suicide where it's just a cry for help. It's just a cry for help. Listen, I, I remember telling a mate of mine two, like two weeks later what I'd done. And, and he turned around to me and he says, oh, well, if, if you're going to do your wrists, if you want to do it properly, you're supposed to cut the other way. And I just looked at him. I said, if I'd have known that, mate, I wouldn't be here now. I didn't know. You know, I, I in my head, I'd done everything right. I, I, you know. <laughs> Well, like, I don't read the manual, um, but and that was it. But a lot of people are very much like, oh, it must have been cry for help because otherwise you wouldn't be here. And I'm like, look, in my head, I've done everything. How I came out of that, I like you just like, I didn't pass out from or anything, but purely from loss of blood, purely from energy, anything, I woke up on that bed feeling absolutely terrible like like awful now like like i was freezing cold um you were going I, shaking. Shock. I mean i'm guessing you were going into shock you were hung over 
all exactly. the rest of it was happening. And and like now I knew that Miguel for now I'd, they'd been banging on the door that the, the the phone had been ringing. I put the phone off the hook um, because I just didn't you know. So Miguel knows she she didn't know I was in there because I was quiet, but she was convinced I was in there because the guy from the reception had said yes, he's gone up, he got the key. Yeah, so, yeah. but she's banging and then going back to the reception, having no idea. By the way, she's outside just fuming that I'm asleep, pissed. So yeah. she's got no idea. So anyway, I woke up and and I, I literally remember like thinking this isn't going to happen. Like, like I I just I'm still here. Like I feel absolute shit and I'm was looking at my arms. Still stabbing at this point? I mean, not to be. No, I don't happy, think but... it was. Like, at the end of it, for for a long time, it, there was just blood running out. And I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, how much blood can you lose? I, I yeah. just didn't understand it. Um. But by the end of it, I was I was looking down, thinking this is stopping. Like, I'm I'm what am I going to do? And I remember going to the phone, and I put the phone back on the hook, so which is next to the bed, you know, you, you know. And, and I put the phone back on the hook. As soon as it went back on the hook, it rang. And I remember like like almost knocking it off, and it was on the side. And I said hello, and it was my girlfriend, like, you know, what, what, what you be doing? Fucking, that we're coming up. Let, let us open the fucking door. And I had to drag myself along the floor. And I remember that getting off the bed now. I've got no energy now. And I dragged myself along the floor. I had to reach up to that stupid bar from sitting because I couldn't stand up. And, and to knock that bar off, the door. And then as soon as I knocked that bar off, the door opened. And, and they just walked into a horrific scene because they, they had no idea what had happened then. They just, there was blood on walls, like, yeah. You know, without being too, too, I've probably been too graphic anyway. But hey, it's... no, listen, do you know what I'm going to do? I reckon, because we're, we are on like 40 minutes now, right? Oh, hit that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I reckon this is a good place to chop it. Do you know what? Because your story is literally so good, yeah? I think it's worth pausing this now, right? And saving it and then going again because your story is amazing. Like, mm. <laughs> it's so good. I can't even jump in on half of it because literally I wish I was that guy from 19 to 29. But <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's amazing. So I reckon we've got to chop it here, man. We've got to do part two onwards from that because from that moment onwards, you've got another good 40 minutes to get to where you are now, I reckon. So, so yeah, because then obviously the life changing stuff and, and the lessons learned all come after that. Mate, so here we go, back on the Ground Zero Life Without Limits podcast with one of my favourite guests to date, Shane Fisher. This is the part two where we're carrying on from where Shane's told his more or less his first part of his life story, going down memory road, Magaluf and all the rest of it, and to where he got to a point about 32 years old where he was well determined to take his own life so we're carrying on from that point that is where we finished so how's it going dude i'm all right mate thank you very much cheers for having me back on lockdown growth going on here look do you know what i mean I, th I think everybody you speak to now you have a, you have a call and there's just beards coming out of everywhere aren't they and there's like nobody's do people even iron the shirts anymore? I don't, I don't know. Mate, who up knows? But the thing that I love every time I watch you is how good that hair thickness and hairline's coming on. I need that in my life. People will be wondering what you're talking about there, but yeah, I had a hair transplant. So, it's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm six months in and, and I'm very happy with it, mate. You, you go for a lot of pain with that at the beginning when you don't know if it's going to come back and if it's going to work and all your mates taking the piss thinking, is he, is he going to be bald forever now? So yeah, no, it's good. He's, uh, that's one good thing. Cause I can't, I go to the barbers every 10 days. So I like to have all this. I'm like, what is going on? But at mate, least it's let your hair come through. It's huh? It looks good. It looks good. Yeah. It's getting there now, mate. Thank you very much. So right, dude, let's hit it up. 
everyone knows what, what you're on, who you are and all the rest of it. But I mean, we left off there where I think the last point when I checked was you were in the hospital bed and your family were coming to visit you. And you also talked about you recorded your suicide attempts and you were mm. kind of all around that point. So we kind of left yeah. off there. Yeah, to be honest, I, I, before we jumped on today, I just played about the last five minutes of it to refresh a bit. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've taken people through the, the, the suicide bit, which is obviously a big, a big thing in in people's life, and which it affects a lot of people. And and I think now it, it's a message that you know the, the understanding mental health is a huge thing because you know with this lockdown, these are all the negative effects. Now there's a lot of people really suffering, and, and the financial stresses. I mean, even in the couple of weeks since I speak to you. What people will be going through now is is ten times what they were, you know, two three weeks ago. You know, it's it's hitting people now. But it's um, but yeah, I think I got to the point in the story, mate, where I'd I'd, I'd literally just opened the the hotel door, so it I'd gone from attempting the suicide and the realization that it wasn't working, you know, coming round and literally opening the door to. You know, my ex misses at the time coming through the door and, and they just walked into a horrific scene, really, and obviously no idea what had gone on. And, and you know what? It was almost instantly the slap across the face at what you'd done, right? And that was the moment I looked up. I'd, I'd let them in and then they were coming. The hotel manager was in. And then you can imagine, you know, the 999 calls made. And, and I'm, the next thing I know, I'm, I'm looking up. I'm still in the hotel here. I'm in the doorway now, right? Because I, I must have blacked out again. And, and the ambulance men are there. Now, the weird thing is with this, my, my, my brother-in-law's a paramedic, right? And I've looked up and there's, there's just two normal guys, the paramedics, they're there to do the job. And I've woke up and all of a sudden, I'm the guy who tries to kill himself. I'm the guy who's wasting the time of the emergency services. I'm the guy who's crying out for attention. And that's how I felt. And it was horrible. And, and I was like, I, I, I felt like, I wanted to apologize to everybody instantly. I, I was like, no, this, uh, you, you have to understand that into who I am. You know, I run nightclubs in Magaluf. You know, you don't understand. Ask my mates. You know, your head is just going like, like, what have I done here? I you know what I mean? Then they've got a lot of assessments to make. Like, is this guy been drinking? Which obviously you had, at the, you know, yeah. the night before, as this is drifting over into the next day, you know. Is he on drugs? Is, yeah. you know, is he on medication? I mean, there's a lot of things they have to go through to assess what's going on. And you're very That's unwell, exactly. I'd imagine, at this point. You're kind of drifting in and out of consciousness by the sound of it as well. So. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, their biggest thing when they come through the dorm is to make sure they're trying to keep me alive, really, because I've lost so much blood. Um, and they'll have seen that straight away, you know what I mean? They're, 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 you know, they're, they're looking at your wounds and everything, and, and then it's, it's literally trying to get blood back into you, and then they get you to the hospital. Um, so it's all a bit hazy from that bit. Um, you, you come. It's, I have little flashbacks now when I think to it. and it, it's, I, I can't remember leaving the hotel. I can't remember getting in the ambulance. I remember going into the hospital. I remember being on a bed, being pushed into the hospital and, and seeing faces looking at me. Now I'm conscious now of nurses, um, the, the ladies at the front desk. And all I'm thinking is, I need to tell them this isn't who I am. Like, I'm not that guy. And I'm laid there with bandages on my wrists, you know, blatantly the guy who's just tried to commit suicide. And I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? You know, my, my girlfriend's there absolutely distraught. Um, and, and, and it just started to hit in properly. And then you've got to deal with the next bit, you, you know, and that's the, that's the weird thing for me. You know, it's when I tried to do it, not one part of me ever thought, 
I would be coming out the other side of it and then having to deal with that, I thought I'd be gone. You know, it was none of the thought process was, hang on a minute, how are you going to recover for this? What are you going to tell people? That wasn't happening. Now I had to deal with that. And that, and that wasn't easy, mate. That, that was like, Did I mean... Did you need a blood transfusion or anything? Did you need yeah, 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 because I'd, I'd lost so much blood, yeah. So, so it's like I say, they just went for, But I also needed um, operations on, on both my, my wrist because I'd cut through tendons and arteries, so they all needed repairing. Um, so it was pretty serious stuff. And obviously at this time, I, you know, my missus at the time, she's, she's ringing my best mate. She's had to ring my mum. She had to ring my dad. And we hadn't been together that long. You know, she didn't even have the relationship with my family. And they're thinking what has gone on you know what i mean this isn't shame like and that's the, the so she had to suffer all that a little bit really with with people like that something's happened here he, he wouldn't do that something's wrong mm. um and and but, but you know it wasn't she just had to deal with all that but i, I think like i say there's the it's important for people to understand how shitty it gets next you know what i mean because people will be thinking about it and thinking it is the answer but it so isn't mate it's i mean i was in that hospital and you're just on a bed now you're you're waiting to go up onto a ward this is before the operations and stuff and i'm laid there on the bed you're feeling weak and and you've bandaged your wrists up and, and i remember asking the nurse you know can i go to the toilet and they're, they're all busy. Yeah. And, and I felt an atmosphere with the nurses, if I'm honest, when, when I first went in. Maybe, maybe paranoid, maybe was. But it was like, you know, I, I was the guy that shouldn't be there taking up the time. You know, I mean, there was people that needed the life saving and stuff, not this guy who was trying to cry for attention sort of thing. So I asked if I go to the toilet and, and she says, yeah, she just pointed to where it was. Now, when you've been laid on your back for that long and lost a lot of blood, you don't want to be jumping straight out of bed and trying to walk, right? And I didn't know any. You're going to get a blood rush, aren't you? Straight well, so I, I've made it to the toilet, mate, and I've got a gown on. And I've gone drip? to the a drip for one, drip for the other. What's <laughs> I, going on? I, I couldn't even tell. I don't, I don't think I did. I don't, I don't think at that point I had a drip or whatever it was disconnected. So I've gone to the toilet. I remember going in. The, the desk is just there. So they've seen me go into the toilet. Next thing I know, mate, there's two nurses at the toilet door. I'm in a, in a, in a heap with, with Dick I laid there on the floor in my own piss because I'd, I'd, I'd started peeing and blacked out. So, and, it, and it's just like, mate, that you, it's just an awful, awful situation. Like, you, 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 and I remember just waking up and, and pulling your pants up and you pee on the floor. And, and you're in a toilet cubicle, mate, and you've blacked out and you're just thinking, what? I, I was on a night out in Newcastle, you know what I mean? Like like 12 hours ago, what, what has happened here? Weird, mate, really weird. Degrading in a way, isn't it? Because, I mean, what would people, if they were to describe you before the incident, how do you think people would have described you as a, as a person, as your character? <sighs> All different, I suppose. I mean, I mean it, it's... I, I think a way to put it in your head, there's a, there's a mate of mine, um, Spencer, his name is, and he went, so he, he knew me from Magaluf, right? And after this, I didn't tell a lot of people. Like, I kept it very private until I, had, I was willing to deal with it. And it took me a lot of years. So, so I'm a literally close family and a select group of friends, right? And I ended up getting a job where he was working. It was a, it was a mental health provider when I ended up staying in the UK, right? And we was having a night out with my, my boss-to-be and him, right? And we was going for dinner and a couple of drinks. And he was on his way around. And I said to my boss, because he knew I'd gone to speak to him because he was in mental health. And I, I just reached out to the guy. Yeah? I, just, I just had to speak to somebody. And that's how I ended up getting a job offer. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to tell Spencer. Um, I said, because we're going to sit there. I said, we might want to talk about things. I, I said, 
And he said, are you sure? I said, yeah. I said, so, well, let's tell him before we go out then. You know, he's going to come around. And I told him. And, and, and Spencer, he, he just, he, he froze when I told him. And he, and he just looked at me. And he was, he was in disbelief. And his reaction, he, he actually said, he said, if you'd have lined up 150 lads and said, which one out of that lineup tried to top themselves on New Year's Eve? He said, I would have been number 150. He would have picked out the line. Because I, I was like, like laughable, but you know, people used to call me Mr. Magaluf and stuff because you know, you, you turn up, you don't know anybody, you end up managing the busiest club there because of the job you're in. Everybody has to know Shane from Boomerang if you wanted a free drink or you wanted to come in, and it just wouldn't have been that guy that tried to kill himself, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it, it was never like he's got issues or he's the quiet one or. You know, he's not, there's never any history of self-harming or even talking about it. You know, I was just never that guy. So it was a massive shock to people. So moving on, mate, I mean, you're laying there in a pool of your own piss. And in, in a way, I can see you trying to be serious, but also laughing at the same time. Because in a, in a weird way, it's kind of like that to and fro between your mind, isn't it? Like, you, you kind of look back and you think, fuck. You, like, I look back on some mental stuff and I kind of laugh and people say, why are you laughing? At, like, in, in a kind of nervous way because you're kind of like, you can't believe that you were once there. Do you know what I mean? No. It's almost laughable that it ever even happened or you were in that space. But, like, when you moved on from that, I mean, I don't know how long we want to kind of dwell on it. You obviously had all the operations, reconstructive surgery on the wrists. I mean, you've probably mm. still got scars and all from this now. Something you've Yeah, bad ones. Through. I mean, I don't know if you see them on the camera, but yeah, they're very, very visible scars on, on both wrists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what? moving on from that, you obviously were still living in Magaluf, but obviously this had happened. Did you have to go and live with your mum and dad for a few months to recover? Or how did it affect work? I mean... What spiralled after leaving hospital? This was in the winter. So you're, 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 this is New Year's Eve, right? So you're early January now dealing with all this. And, and you didn't have to be... I was still living in Mallorca, though, absolutely, um, and would have been going back for the summer season, which would be starting probably in March, right? So I was lucky I had that period of time to be like... I, you know, it wasn't like I was due back at work the next week. I didn't have to bring anybody on that side of things. Nobody had to know over there, really. It was just a case of you've gone back for the winter to see family. And, and that was that. But to be honest with you, when, when, so I was living, I was staying at my sister's back then. So, so, um, you know, me, me and my ex-missus was both staying at my sister's. They had to sort of try and hide from the kids what I'd done, but obviously they knew I'd done, so I had an accident and, and we come up with a story at the time that I, we'd had an argument. I put my hands through, through a window and, and it was mad how many people still believe that story until I actually came public and, and put my post on Facebook, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I, I was staying at my sister's, and, and the more I was thinking about it, right, I'm looking at my wrists, and like I said, the scars are bad now, but you can imagine how bad they was then, right? And I'm looking at my arms thinking, I, I work in the sun. I work, you know, I can't cover these up. It's, you can't be stood in, in out front of a bar in Magaluf with a jumper on, you know what I mean, or a long sleeve shirt even in July and August. It's not going to happen. And I wasn't ready to deal with the questions, like what's that on your arm or what have you done? I just didn't know how to deal with that. So I made a decision pretty quickly that I, I needed to start looking at, at something else. And like I said to you, I'd, I'd reached out to a, to a mate of mine called um, Jonathan Gray because he worked in mental health. And I sent him just a big email, not, nothing to do with a job. I had no idea I was even thinking about, about trying to get a job at that time. But just to say, listen, mate, I know you're in the industry he didn't even know me that well, if I'm honest with you, at that time. We'd, we'd met in York and we'd been out a couple of times, but I just knew he, he to me, was, was a lad around my age who worked in that industry. And I was like, here's what I've done. No idea why. 
what happens now? What, 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 what? And, and, and it was great, you know what I mean? He invited me down to Liverpool. Um, he took me into his office and we just had a chat, you know what I mean? And it was a bit of a free counselling session in a way. And on the back of that, he'd, he'd liked sort of my email. He liked how I was chatting. Obviously, he knew I'd run things and stuff before and he actually gave me a job offer. He says, well, realistically, is it, is it the island that's drove you to it? You know, I mean, there must be reasons. He said, do you maybe want to try a fresh start? He said, because if you want to try, try a fresh start, I'll give you a job. So he, he gave me a job in Liverpool. He, it was um, a private healthcare company. It's a mental health provider, you know what I mean, which seems strange, but it helped me really start to understand all that because part of my role, I had to study that. So it was like getting paid to study what I'd gone through. On, I mean, of course, there's, there's all the different ailments and everything else you've got to study. But that's what I ended up doing, mate. Yeah, so, so we came back to Mallorca, gathered our things up, but I've got bandaged up wrists and nobody knows why. And because I'd been there 13 years, you know a hell of a lot of people. So really it was quite a big deal that I was leaving and, and I'd put a post on Facebook and it, and it went mad. Like the, the comments on there was ridiculous that it was time for me to leave. Obviously not saying anything what I'd done, just the island, you know, it's come to an end for me. I'm going to try and grow up now, like laughing almost, but right, we're going to give it a go in the UK. So, of course, the friends here are like, right, well, you're going to need a leaving party. And I'm like, oh, God, like, like, just let me go. You know what, what I mean? What's going like, on in the mindset then? I mean, because horrible. when I've been in certain places, the last thing I want to touch is alcohol. And, and the reason yeah. I don't want to touch alcohol is because of the places it can put you in. And I'm never really a one-point man. If I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink, drink. Do you know what I mean? I don't just stop at yeah. things. I just keep drinking. Was yeah. it something that whole type of environment you were trying to avoid? Was you trying to avoid drinking too much alcohol? Was you trying to keep your head clear? What was going on? You know what? Because it was the winter, it, there's there's nothing open, right? There's there's a couple of places open, so it wasn't really an issue for me. It wasn't you know the bars went open. It wasn't people ringing you up to go out every night. The, the odd night out here and there, but you can avoid it. I didn't want to see anybody, like like nobody. I I just didn't want to be because it's weird. It, it's almost once you, once you've done something like that, you walk in a room. And, and the only way I can describe it is like, you know, like, I'm sure you've all, all met a woman in your time or a lad who's got a birthmark on the shoulder or something, right? And it's probably like the size of a penny, yeah? And they think everybody in the room is focused on that, right? And they're not, you know? And, and it, but I walked into a room and I just thought everybody knows I've got scars on my wrists. Everybody. Everybody everybody wants to know what I've done. But it's not like that, but that's where your head was. Your head's like, I need to get out of here. You're getting anxiety. So I just avoided things, mate. And but obviously this party, it was my leaving do, and I couldn't avoid it. And and I've walked in, which realistically, after 13 years managing bars and clubs, you know a lot of people that should have been a big event, right? It was in a bar called Manor's. It was one of the only few places open. I went there, and there was a lot of old friends that all gathered. And I walked down the steps, and they're all sort of clapping and cheering as I walked in. And I'm just like, you can't move your arms. I've got a plaster cast on after the operation, and two arms like that, a big leather jacket pulled over the arms. And I was just, oh, mate, it was horrible. But, you know, trying to be nice to everyone. Oh, I can't believe you're leaving and why? And trying to bullshit people that I didn't like the island anymore. Um, coming up with all these excuses why I wanted to leave. Uh, yeah, it was strange times, mate. Strange did, times. Did you, so what? when people were asking, you were just literally telling them at this point, yeah, look, I've got pissed up and I've fallen through a glass window. Was it? Was you trying to keep it simple like that? Was it that simple? Yeah, that was it. We had an argument. I, 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 um, out of anger, I shoved a glass door. It was a. T- I even said it. Was, I think I said it was a taxi taxi rank um, door. The glass window, and I went straight through it, and and I, and I slashed all all of my arms. Which is you know believable, I mean? isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Because we have. A I thought it wasn't. Around for a window and all. So 
I thought it wasn't, but even, you know, there's um, one of my best mates, Kim, who was on the night out with me. When I put the post on Facebook, she rang me and she was like, to this day, this, this was seven years on before I let anybody else know. She said, to this day, I thought you put your hand through that taxi rank window. She had no idea. And she was out with us on the night. That is crazy. And what I love about the story at the minute is I never knew that you'd even left Magaluf. I just kind of thought from phase one, you were just, because you're there now, aren't you? You're in Magaluf now. So you're in Magaluf now still. Mm. And I just guess that you just hadn't left. So to me, this part is quite interesting because now you've had yeah. like this stopgap. What was this, about 33, 32, something like that, Shane? 32. And then you've come back and what did you have? You moved back with this girlfriend and you got an apartment and stuff and started working in the city of Liverpool, basically, yeah? Yes. Yeah, so, so like I said, the, the, you know, the mate of mine who gave me the job, I kind of walked into a better opportunity, really, which to, which, to be fair, made the story believable of why I was leaving Mallorca because it was like, look, I've done this since I was 19. I don't want to manage bars and clubs forever. And I've been offered a job with very decent salary. There's a company car. There's a flat in the commercial district in Liverpool. And there's a phone. And off you go. You know what I mean? It, it was a brilliant opportunity. Um, so that was my story. And that's where we went. So we went to live in Liverpool. Now, I mean, this is all the, all the next bits of the story and stuff. But by that, obviously, the few months have gone now. You know, I, I've, I'm living with my sister, dealing with everything I've done. Um, I've told the few pals that, I, that I'd done it. And, and again, it was mad. I've told you what Spencer said, but I mean, there's a mate of mine, Steve, one of the older lads who used to run the football. And I said, listen, Steve, can we meet up? I've got something I need to tell you. So I've gone and met him in the pub, as, as you do, and it's just me and him, and, and all I've told him is, look, I need to chat. And he, I didn't do that very often, you know what I mean? We'd go for a drink, but if I say, look, I need to tell you something, he's like, yeah, what is it? And so Weird he's one. turned yeah. up there. And I, I've started speaking to him, and I said, listen, Steve, um, I, I said to you, I've got something to tell you, and he's like, yeah, 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 you tell me anything, mate, what, what, what's wrong and all that. And I started to tell him, and, and he looked at me, and I started telling the story, you know, about what happened on New Year, and, and he put his hand on my knee, and he went, can I just tell you something? I said, yeah. He went, I thought he was going to tell me you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> like it, just, it was just nothing in his head. So that was Steve. Oh. And, and then there's two brothers of mine, um, Ricky and Paul. So I've said to them, lads, I need to tell you something. Can we meet up? And, and we randomly, mate, we just met in a car park. So I didn't want to go in a pub. Now I was like, right, get me up. We just met in a car park. He pulled up in his van. I got in his van and all three of us sat in the van. And I told them. And they just looked at each other and they went, we thought you'd won the lottery. <laughs> was, do you know what I mean? It was just, I was just, it was the last thing anybody was ever going to think. And, 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 and that was it, mate. It was, it's just, it's crazy, isn't it, when you think about it. So, dude, how long did this last? You know, like, I, I'm more intrigued myself now. So you're in Liverpool. I mean, how long did this go on for? And what was the experience? I stayed in the UK then. I worked in Liverpool for about a year, I think it was. And then I got offered a job in Hull. But that, that window of my life, I, I basically, I ended up in the UK for three years. So I lasted three years, but you've got, you've got to imagine like you've gone from, I mean, at 32 managing, you know, one of the busiest bars in Magaluf, you know, everybody, right. You, and, and it's, it's, we get sucked into a very dream life and I'm not, I'm not being arrogant with this. Listen, I worked at McDonald's before I went there, right. That, that was who I was in Hull. And all of a sudden in Mallorca, I know everybody and, and you get used to like, you, you didn't pay for a drink anyway. You went, you, you got, um, you never, you didn't know what queuing to get in anywhere was. If you did want to go out with a drink, every single bar you went in, you knew somebody. If you went in a restaurant, you knew the owners, you knew the managers, because I was the guy who looked after you if you came to me. So you've gone from that guy to now going into Liverpool, right? Now I was good at managing bars and clubs, and now I do online marketing, right? 
at the time when I stepped into that office in Liverpool, I'm not kidding you, I did not know how to use a photocopier, right? Nothing, nothing. And, and my mate, money, John, the money as well. I'm just sitting there thinking the money must have been a shock because you earned so much money, you spent all winter traveling normally, then you've gone back into this. How can I describe it? British way of life, where the weather... Real world. The real world, we call it, isn't it? The weather is shit. The money is like half, if quarter of what you're used to. And it's yeah. proper like 12 months of the year. It's not like six months of the year. Do you know what I mean? And, so and listen, mate, it, it was... An, but everything was alien to me. I, I, was, I was putting a shirt on. I was putting a tie on every day to go to work, right? I'm in an office... I've gone from managing 38 staff who all look up to you, shop girls, security, DJs, dealing with events and everything, to being the guy who has to stand at the secretary's desk and say, sorry, can you just show me how to use a photocopier again? <laughs> I, was the, I, was the, I, was the, I was the office, like the complete office junior at 32. Oh my God. And they must be thinking, what? Because they didn't know my story. So they're thinking, why is this guy giving him a job? Like, all right, he's a nice guy and he's got contacts, but he's got no clue about this industry. He doesn't know how to use a computer. <laughs> like, and, oh, mate. So, I mean, there was, I think in my first week of training, they, they put me in with this guy. Um, and, and, and I had to sit in front of him and take notes, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever gone through a period in your life where you haven't wrote anything down for a while, hand-wrote, right? So, yeah, I can't read or write very well anyway, so <laughs> I'm absolutely terrible since, since you leave school, college, or if you're not doing it's any weird. It's weird because you, you, you're not handwriting anything if you're not in that line of work, like nothing, yeah? So this guy, we are sat on a desk one foot away, like I'm lent over there, he's lent over there, and he's speaking to me, and I've got a pen in my hand to take some notes, right? Now, don't forget, I've also done my wrists in. Now, now, so I'm, at this time now, the, the casts are off and everything, there's big bandages underneath, and, and I started wearing things to try and cover it up and stuff, but nobody knows. But I'm trying to hold a pen and write, and in my head I'm thinking, well, I can write, sure, I can write. I'm not even thinking about it yet. And I put the pen to the paper to try and write a note of what he just said. And imagine giving a pen to a six-year-old, telling them to put the pen in the left hand and then write the name. My first letter went down six lines of the page, right? And he must have looked at me and thought, is this guy for real? He can't even write. Like, so I can't use a photocopy. I don't know what a computer is. I know he can't write. And I looked at the pen and I was like, Oh my God. And at night I had to sit there in the hotel room where we was for the training before we actually got the apartment. And I was writing, the practice writing again. I was like, oh mate. So you can imagine how I felt though. I mean, the reason I'm saying that is you've got to understand from the pedestal you thought you was on as Mr. Magaloff or whatever to just wallop. This is where you are now. And I'm like, oh my God. But everybody seems to have that. Anyone who's got an amazing story or, you know, have become like have moved on to become something better in their life they've always gone through this period and it was like for you it was that failed attempt it's the moving back it's like being reborn yeah. isn't it do you know what i mean for you it's like being totally reborn being the office bitch i mean you probably have people who flew over and you gave them jobs where they didn't know currency language like all the things that you went through but you're doing it in reverse but in liverpool within your own country yeah. do you know what i mean and, and, it, and, and learning things that I never thought I'd give a, a crap about, really, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, my God, like, I, I don't want to know how to use that coffee machine or how to weigh that. I just, I just didn't – it was just nothing excited me in it, you know? It was just like this is what – this is now the life I found myself in. And so then you've got to deal with all that. 
you're dealing with the depression and everything what you now understand fully and, you, and you're realizing that this is this is what it's all from um yeah i mean it's just not a nice experience at all at was all. being at home was it a bit of a comfort blanket because of what happened to you was it nice to know that mum and dad and friends were close was that a security blanket for coming back because some people do do that or because uh, yeah uh, yeah listen yeah you need you needed that you know i mean i was i was lucky because of my sisters we had our own bedroom and stuff and She's got, um, I think she had two young girls at the time and then the, then the third one was born. Um, so I've got three nieces there. So at the time there was two nieces, but as, as we all know, there, there is no, and, and I say this to anybody now, like if you're suffering de de depression and feeling low and down, get yourself around two things, kids and animals, because there is no better distraction because there's just no judgment. They don't pick up on your bad moods. They're happy to see you all the time. And, and you can't sit there moping about and feeling sorry yourself when there's, there's a three-year-old niece wanting to play around and mess around. So that was brilliant for me, really. Um, but I noticed that when they went to bed, we would be sat on the sofa and I got completely addicted to it. And I don't play games on my phone. I, I've never, I've just never, ever done it. But I, I just, for some reason, I saw an advert on Facebook or something and it was one of these games. And it was a game called Civilization that I had actually played a bit when I was 17, yeah? So I've downloaded this app, put it on my phone, and I'm not kidding, right? I think once the girls had gone to bed, like my sister would tell you, and obviously miss it at the time, I would look at my phone and I was in a different world and I was happy in there because I didn't have to speak to anybody. And it's weird when I look back at that now, you know, and, and obviously this is the period between it happening and, and starting my new life in Liverpool that I wasn't working. I was just trying to recover and get my head around it. And I just used to play this game for hours and hours and hours. But it was like in there, I was all right. I didn't have to speak to anybody and I was, oh, I'm achieving things and I'm building things. And it was just an escape. Mate, I can imagine it now because, like, when Facebook and all came out, first of all, they had things like Farmville and like Bejeweled, and all these other games were attached to it, you know. And people become addicted to them, put up how they got like 10,000 blocks blow up or built like a miniature <laughs> farm or whatever the hell it was. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. But, but that, and that was me, mate. That was like, right, I've got this now. I'm allowed to lock into my phone and I don't have to speak to anybody. This is my excuse. I can just sit here in my own little depressed world, which I was in terribly. I was, you know, I was in a bad state. No, but because yeah. we was a little bit cut off there. Okay. So I, I kind of get how you felt because like people don't realize, I think psychologically how unwell I like to describe it. You can get, so they know you're not well. They know you're not a hundred percent, which people always say, but it, when you get locked inside your own mind, it's a very hard place and weird things will happen. And I think I was just touching on the fact that when I was unwell, I take short walks with the dog from where I live to my mum's house because like we were talking about before, it was like a comfort, you know, to see my mum quickly for 10 minutes and, you know, it makes you feel better. And then I'd go back home, vice versa. But I would do yeah. odd things like I would nod off to sleep randomly and wake back up five, 10 minutes later. My mum would say, are you all right, my love? Is everything okay? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm cool. But yeah. I knew things weren't right because weird things like that would keep happening. A bit like you're touching on how you played on the game all the time. Yeah, I would do things like that. And other things similar where I would just get lost, you know, like on my phone, concentrating on certain things that would concentrate all my energy onto them. So there was nothing else inside my head, you know? I didn't have to accept reality. That's the way I no. look back on it, you know? So Strange times, mate. It's... Um... Like, like, I, th I think a different thing from, from my side was is such a massive guilt 
because you, you knew what you almost put everybody through, you know, your sister, your mom, your dad, your brother, and you're just like, so you're dealing with all that and you can't, you want to hide from that a little bit, you know, you didn't want to face up to that. But I remember not too long after we, I think from there we ended up going to live, was we living at my granddad's at the time? Was we still at my sister's? I can't remember if we were still at my sister's, but before I went to Liverpool, we were, I had an argument with my missus, as you do, as we all do. And, and it was like, you know, when you're staying with other people and you can't really, so I was like, right, I just need to get out. So I've gone outside, jumped in the car, and just went for a drive, you know what I mean? I just went to drive, cleared the car. And in my head, I'd have done that a million times over the years. Um, I'm going for a drive and I'm going to come back. And, and, and I've, I've left my phone, right? So what's happened is I've only been gone 10 minutes. But you can imagine what they're all thinking. Is he gone and done it? Is he gone and done that again? And, I, and I'm not, without even a thought in my head, I'm not off to kill myself. But then, so I came back to missed calls and panic and drama and, you know, Mrs. Grandman and my sister and all that. You can't just do that. And I'm like, you know, I went, but I realised that this was my fault now. You know, I, I was that guy now. So anyway, they're, they're all like, um, you need to, look, we're really worried about you. How can we reassure? They've been pushing me to go get help, right? And I, and I was like, I just didn't want to do it. You know what I mean? I wanted to sort of self-help and research myself. And, but anyway, I sort of gave in. And, and I'd gone to the doctors. And so, you know, you know what? This, when I first went to the doctors, actually, this, then they've been telling me I needed help. This must be before I went for the drive. Because I remember what the first time I went to the doctors was, They'd been saying, you need to speak, please speak to somebody. And I basically didn't want to, but how I did long, it for them. How long Sorry. after what happened was this? Just so people have a time scale, mate. This please must please. be with it, probably two weeks after, right? Oh, this was like, early. this was two weeks after. Still, let me see. I, I was, this is the first doctor's visit, right? And which I didn't want to do. I didn't, I didn't want to do it at all. I didn't, I didn't want to, again, be that guy. Yeah. But anyway, it was... For the family, they, they, you know, I put them through enough already. I was like, right, just, just at least go say you're going to go speak to somebody or go get some help. And then I did want to understand it a little bit. So I've gone to my local GP and I've made, made an appointment. And I, and I just remember it, it was a massive deal to me that, right? And I was sat in the, in the waiting room and, I, I, you know, put my, my arms bandaged up. And again, you're in that position where you are convinced everybody in that waiting room knows he tried to kill himself. Nobody's got a clue. I could have been there for a cracked toe or a cold or anything, but you think everybody in the waiting room knows, right? You think the receptionist knows, and, it, and it's you, all these things going through your mind. You're just like, get me in that doctor's room, get me out of here. And it was horrible, but it was a massive thing. And to my family, like, this was going to be the next step. This was going to help, help Shane out. This was it, you know, get some help and find out what really happened and pop a pill or whatever you do and, and get on with your life. So I walked, walked into the doctor, and, and this is the bit where now at 32, so I'm going back nine years, right? So nine years ago, I walked into the GP, and I've sat there, um, and I never forget it. And, and he went, he's looking at his computer, and he says, so, so how can I help? And I says, oh, well, um, obviously, I think you've probably seen all my files, but I went for a bit of an episode on New Year's Eve, um, and I don't really know how to think about it. And he, and he looked at the computer and he glanced at me and, and, he, and he looked at my wrist and he says, um, so it was a suicide attempt. And I, I says, yeah. And, and I was ready. I, I was about to like start speaking. You know, I, I don't know why. And I didn't know what he was going to ask. And I was like, yeah. And he went, okay. And he got his pen. He pulled out a sticky note, a yellow sticky note. So no flying or anything. There was a phone number on there, no name. And he said, um, call that number. They'll help you out. And, and, I, and I held this sticky note in my hand with a phone number on it. And I was like, what, what, what's that? Anyway, it's a helpline. Give them a ring. They'll be able to help you out. 
And that was it. So this is my local GP. I've gone to him for the first person outside close family and friends that I've even willing to tell had happened. And he just pushed me out that door, mate. I, I was fuming. And I, and I left there and I was like, I scrambled up the bit of paper. I didn't even give a shit who it was. And I threw it on the floor and I went back and I was like, I'm never going back to that doctor's again. And it was horrible, if I'm honest with you. It was really, and it was such a lack of... Any, no empathy on his side. He, he was just like, dude, this guy's an attention seeker. Um, get out of my office. Horrible, horrible experience. But, mate, there's so many people out there still doing that. You know, they are still doing it, you know? 100%. Yeah, and, and he just didn't... And I'd love to go back there and just say, listen, you prick. Like, do you <laughs> understand how, how big a deal that was for me to actually get out the house in, in that time, I hadn't left the house. So to leave the house in that period of time, sit in this waiting room, have my family all waiting to see what happens next, and you give me that number on a sticky note. Oh, I was fuming, man. I, I was just like, nah, that ain't it. And after that, I just started to self-educate, and, and that was it. I just I, I, I lost myself on the internet and, and read everything I could about depression, anxiety. I found all groups online. I, and I didn't speak to any, I didn't, I didn't speak to any counsellor. I didn't do anything else. But I started to educate myself on what, how to counter depression, exercise, water, fresh air. You know, and, all, and, I, and I started, it, it doesn't change overnight, but I'm very, 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 knowledgeable on that now and i think that's it's a big way of sort of how you turn your life around i still have to do these things daily don't get me wrong um because i don't believe it ever goes away but you just learn to you know you recognize the symptoms you recognize it in yourself but my, my daily routines are so you, you, i'm not a monk you know what i mean but i meditate in the morning i love my workouts i drink four liters of water every day and i get my fresh air and and i just it's, that's me that's i now need to do that exactly and I think a lot of stuff that I come times, whether it's preaching or talk about, is the best way to get better is routine. It, it is routine because you find that, and also recognizing, keeping yourself in check, because yeah. at some point you'll always want to veer back off on these roads. And, yeah. you know, you've got to say to yourself, whoa, I haven't done my 10 minute walk this morning, you know, or I haven't done whatever your simple stuff is. I've got to get back on that. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be addictive. It's actually keeping you well. It isn't like people are saying, oh, um, imagine you might get this. Oh, that man, he's got OCD. He's got bad habits. He does this, this, and this because he's always... No, you're not. You're keeping yourself in check. You're keeping yourself, like, online. You're keeping yourself dialed in, you know, and you're keeping yourself better, not just for you, but for the close people around you because, no, exactly. you know, they don't want to see you either go back to those places. Do you know what I mean? And no, when, no, that's it. When you're getting well, I always find you'll get people come along and say, oh, why do you always eat so well? Why do you always drink water? Do you never feel like a can of Coke or a few beers in an evening? You think, mate, listen to me. Like, I do this for me. Yes, maybe I do. But when I start doing those things, other toxic thoughts, habits and everything all come in with, you know, bad, bad, like eating badly bad physical activity, whatever it is, they all creep along and they're associated to it, you know? No, so exactly. It's very hard to stay true to yourself because there will be people, they, they don't mean it, but they kind of guide you off where you want to go. Does that make sense? Of course they do. And, and it, it's a lot down to sort of human psychology. You know, pe people they look at those around them and, and they want to know why you're doing something that they're not. And, and a lot of their, it's a lot of defense on their part. A lot of the time, you know, a lot of times we'll naturally chat why are you running that far? You know I mean? What do you need to do that for? A lot of times because I, I don't want to run that far. You know what I mean? Is it, should I be doing that? And, and people just naturally challenge it. But let's say it took me a long time to get there, but 
I'm at a point now, mate, where I, I can go to a party, I, I can go out. And listen, I, it's not that I don't drink alcohol, but if I'm not feeling myself or 100% or I've had a bit of a down day, I'm more than happy to go out somewhere and just say, I'm not drinking tonight. And, and people just know not to. I'm not a guy where, they, you know, they'll shove shots under your nose. If I want to say no, I just say no. And I don't care. You know what I mean? It used to be like, oh, I can't say no to that. Everyone's going to think I'm boring. I don't care. Think I'm boring, but I'll still be here tomorrow. <laughs> so, Mate, I love know. that because I was like that, you know, and nowadays I had a period where I didn't drink for four years and I do drink very occasionally now. I don't think I've even drunk this year. No, I don't think I've drunk since Christmas. And mm. I might not drink this year. I don't know. But I love that because you've got to be true to yourself and you've got to be strong and people will give up. If you know something's right for you, stick by it in a healthy yeah. way, let's say, because people will give up. You know, and it's not their fault. I used to have people say, what's up with you, Anne? Have a drink. You're so much better when you have a drink. You have a laugh. You're <laughs> like, you get on the table. You do this, you do that, you go mad. But what they don't realise is I'm quite happy being relaxed. And I mm. actually, I can engage better with other people that are drunk or however they're carrying on, quite well sober. I actually don't mind it. And I can have yeah. more conversations with different people. And um, sometimes I think, oh, that's quite a cool night, even though I didn't drink. So yeah. I'm just throwing that out there so people know that they haven't got to live to peer pressure. If something inside you is saying, don't do it, just don't do it, because <laughs> you never know the outcome. And that, I think that's kind of like where you're saying that there, you know? You've got that's it. Listen, I'm a... Listen, I'm 41 years old now, and and there isn't a night out I haven't done. You know what I mean? It's not I'm not there. Like I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything by not going. Um, yeah, I'm at the next step in my life now. You know, I want to build the career now and, and everything else. It, it's it's just not top of my list like it was when I was in my 20s. So it's it's not that difficult for me to say no to. But I, I think whenever I have a dip and and I feel depression you know when I when I feel that down there I'm, I'm just I just, just I, I look back and I'm like right what so what was that did I, did I not get enough sleep did I have breakfast you know did I go for a walk was it angry with the missus was I drinking the night before and I, I literally try and sort of assess it all and I it, more often than not you're ticking one of them boxes saying yeah you know it was a bad night's sleep or there was, there was alcohol involved the night before or you missed your workout for three days you know and that's that's why I do it that's why I'm so strict on my routine Listen, let's mix it up a bit. So you spent three years in the UK. There's obviously a lot of up and downs. You obviously were very depressed over that period because you were used to such a beach living, free caring lifestyle in the sun and being like, you know, good at what you did, like number one in your own profession. How did you then make the decision? How did you get to that three year period where you came back and do the things that you're doing again now? When I went to Hull, I got... I got um a job with, again, another old mate of mine from Mallorca, a guy called Alex Hall. Um, he offered me a sales job in Hull. And it was one of them jobs where you ended up doing absolutely everything. You, you, I, I was surveying for solar. I was selling double glazing. I was, I was doing anything. But he's a good guy. But he's, he's like, you know, he was sort of um, Hull Entrepreneur of the Year at the time, you know, probably one of, the, one of these guys. Folks. And he was obsessed with personal development, right, obsessed with it. And he, he would try and force it on you. And I wasn't ready for any of that. You know, I remember him giving me a... a playing Jim Ron in the car one day and I was like what is this he's listening to you know them YouTube sort of motivational things and I was just like oh my god what is this like but this was him and, and the mad thing is now mate I, I listen to that stuff all the time <laughs> I love it right but he, he sort of got me into that and anyway the reason I'm sort of telling you this is 
we he used to have these meetings where it would be about mindset and he'd make you do goals and, and he got you know vision boards and all this stuff right and we laugh about it now but whenever i put a vision board together you know the lads would all put their vision boards together and they'd stick it up on the wall next to the desk and you had to print things out and stick it on there and obviously it'd be like their family and their dream house in hull and the car they wanted Mine would, would have like, it, there'd be an aeroplane on it and there'd be a villa in the sunshine. He <laughs> was like, you're in the wrong country. Like, he was like, what, is your head still that far? And yeah, it obviously was. And I hadn't put it out my, out, out my, um, out my mind. So yes, I was living in the UK and I was, I was trying it, mate. But I think it was just always there. We'd then gone back to Mallorca for holiday. Absolutely loved it. Didn't want to come back. Then we went again. And I think I just sat, and me and, like you say, ex-missus at the time, we, we just had that chat and just says, what am I doing? What am I doing in this country? I'm just wasting my life. You know what I mean? I, I just I can't, I cannot. And, and listen, no offence to anybody who does it, because like I said, my life isn't for, any, isn't for everybody. But if I know I, I say this all the time, it sounds a bit weird, but I, I would stand in the queue at Asda and I would listen to the monotony of the chats about the weather and the whinging and the griping, and I would look around me, mate, and think, I just don't belong here. I do, I, this just isn't for me. And I, can't, I, can't, I hated that small talk shit about rubbish, you know what I mean? And everything was negative, and I was just like, oh, my God. And that was it. I just decided to go back, mate, and went back to Mallorca, and, and, um, and here I am. So, listen, the, the picture that goes with the part one, right, is the Shane yeah. Fisher on Australian Love Island. Am I right or wrong here? Uh, no, to be honest, the, the Australian Love... The, the, the picture of the Australian Love Island is obviously... That's you pushing me for a picture with all the bloody influences, by the way, so I blame you for that. But that's more connected to the Magaluf... When, obviously, I did the bars and clubs and stuff, you get, you get well connected and you look after a lot of acts and DJs and things, right? So your number gets passed around. When I came back here... I, after being back about a year, I got a phone call from, there's a company called Palmer Pictures. Um, no, actually, it was, it was a mate of mine. He was, he was a DJ. And he said, Palmer Pictures are looking for somebody um, to do some sort of job connected to Love Island. And I thought it was a UK one, right? And he says, are you interested? And I said, well, what is it? And, and he, he said, listen, go along. He said, it's, it's good money. And, and all it was, I went to this meeting. There was about 12 people in the room. Um, and it was the Australian Love Island. And Australian Love Island was filming in Mallorca, and that was to look after the acts, uh, the acts, the, the, the sort of uh, the guests of the show, right? The sort of stars of the show before they go in. So we was their chaperones. So the picture of what you're talking about is me look, getting paid to look after bloody, uh, all the girls who have been picked to go into Love Island, and, and not a bad looking bunch. So, but like I said, that it's just all connected to that sort of influencer world. It's you, you kept trying to call me an influencer. I'm not one, but I know a few. And and yeah, it, it was more like my. So that was when I came back. To be fair, I, I got involved in that, and I got I contracted by one of the clubs again. I, I didn't want to go back to managing the clubs, but one of my old bosses he, he messaged me and says, "Well, listen, I'm struggling to get somebody to look after the acts and the DJs. Do you want to just do that job for me? You know, there's a car for the summer." Nice, easy job, two nights a week, take them for dinners, pick them up at the hotel, take them to the club and drop them off. So I did that. I did, I did that for a year. And then that, Mate, I love I it. I just love it. The silent influencer. Your dream job. <laughs> but, but do you know what I mean? That's such a contrast, isn't it? Like, like I think there's probably a message you'd love to throw out there to people, and so would I, is that if you've got a dream and you want to go and do stuff, please don't get stuck in that monotony because it can be so detrimental for mental health. If you've got something that you think you should be doing, go and give it a go. And you're a prime example of that because 
you've done three years and let's be honest it was three years of hard physical mental labor for you do you know what i mean it was, it was rubbish i just didn't enjoy it didn't belong there and, and not that's not saying that everybody should hop on a plane and go and live in Mallorca or what have you or wherever else in the world it's just the fact that go out there and experience things because you're a living example of what you can have and what you can experience yes you don't like to be called an influencer or whatever but you're living a lot of people's dream and that dream is open to everybody some people might say hey and my dream is to do podcasts you you've done four or five now but how do you do it like if you've got a dream just jump on them because i think a lot of bad mental health is by getting trapped in toxic situations and relationships and just life in general and they're so easy to step away from people sprinkle so much stuff on top of things to trap themselves there and you're not trapped you can move forward from these things can't you do you know what i mean go where you want like listen i did it the first time what you're talking about there is what i did when i was 19 years old 19 years old quit college no idea what i was going to do and i was working at mcdonald's going absolutely nowhere by taking that chance and staying on my own and it's what they say get out of your comfort zone Never would I have thought I'd have stayed in a different country on my own. Never would I have just done what I did. But for some reason, I just inside me, just saying, my gut was saying, just do not get on that plane. And that the, the following 10 years of my life from making that decision was, without a doubt, the best 10 years. You, you, I couldn't write a better 10 years of the traveling, the people I met, the clubs, the, just, just everything about what came next. You know, some of the best friends I've got in the world are who you meet in that time. And it, I... I Listen, whether I'd still be at McDonald's now, I don't know. I've got no idea. But it's very easy when you're in your hometown to just think, well, this is it. And and if it is, and that's what you want, and you're happy, then fantastic. But if there is something inside you saying there must be more out there, there is. And go find it. That's all I'm saying. Mate, what has it been like since you've been back in in Mallorca and Magaluf and all the rest of it, just so people just get a quick roundup before we roll this all together, you know? What have you well, been doing? I, what do you do now? Basically, I, when I first came back, obviously it was back to the, the devil, you know. I'd left managing bars and clubs. I got offered to go back to the Red Lion, um, which is a big, a big reason for me. I got a, a brilliant offer financially to come back and run it, and which was great. Um, so I made the decision. We came back. As I came back, that job fell through because they sold the bar. So I was like, shit, hang on a minute, the, the season starts in a month and I didn't have a job and I'd not been in that position before and I didn't want to go be a barman or anything. Anyway, a job came up next door, which was my old enemy, to be fair. There, there was a bar we used to argue and, and fight against all the time. So I ended up working there. You know what, mate? I, after about a month, I just thought, this isn't for me anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm past... Because I'd done the office bit in England and I'd done marketing and corporate meetings, I actually realised there's a bit more to me, right? And, and I knew I could do more. And there was no excitement in filling bars up anymore. I just felt like I'd done that. I'd, I'd taken that as far as I could. Um, so I ended up quitting, quitting the bar with absolutely nothing. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I left the bar in the middle of the season and I just sat at home and... I genuinely went on and I thought, I need to keep myself relevant. I don't know what job I want to do, but how do I keep myself relevant without having to go on that bloody strip every night? And I started writing a blog. And, and I, I, I honestly, I, I went to Google and I put how to write a blog. And that just led to writing a blog, building a WordPress site, how to make money online, social media management. I taught myself how to do websites and I do online marketing. And, and it, so it sort of spawned into just a new line of work really you know I used all my contacts to get clients in and um, I did my first clients with next to nothing just so I could learn it 
um, and, and went for the whole process. And now I do a lot of consultancy training. You know, I'm, I'm building my own platform for my, my next little venture, what I'm trying to do now. And, and that's it, mate. And here I am. Mate, where can people find you? They want to, they love the story and they want to find Shane Fisher. What networks can they find you on? Um, personally, just um, Instagram. Obviously, if they go to your page, I'm sure you tag me on the Instagram anyway. So if they go to Ground Zero, Life Without Limits, you know what I mean? They'll find me on there. Um, Shane underscore Fisher all, um, on Instagram. I've got a website, eaglefishmedia.com. Um, but I've got a Facebook group now, what I've set up called the Tourist Attractor, which is just basically trying to help tourism-based businesses to get back into life, obviously, once all this coronavirus stuff is, is out of the way, because that's a massive thing for an island like this now. It's, it's going to be a huge blow for the economy. Um, so we need to try and get people back to the island. Look, man, I want to wrap this up a bit, right? And I just want to say a few words about Shane Fisher myself, because I think this guy deserves it. Never heard of Shane, never met Shane before, reached out to Shane from his story to do with the suicide and Shane wrote straight back to me. I don't know how long this has been going on now, this little, I like to think of it as a modern day pen pal friendship, right? And one day I am hoping to come and meet Shane. He is a lovely guy. He's always given me great advice. He always writes back to me. He's one of the good guys out there and I think everybody should go and follow him and check him out. And if you ever want to reach out to him, I know 100% he will always get back to you. He's a lovely guy. He's got great stories. He does videos regularly. We've brought them all up before and bring them up again. There's nothing this guy doesn't cover, right? And Shane, look, man, thank you so much for letting me interview here a couple of times. And I don't think this is the last. We'll get Shane back on later on in the year and see what he's been up to and we'll just mash it up and hear if, whatever he wants to talk about, whatever we're playing on our mind, we'll just thrash it out for 40 minutes and put it down, yeah? Lovely, mate. Thank you very much and, and thanks again for the invite and appreciate your very nice words. Hey, mate, it's cool, right? I'll catch you later. Oh, man, take care. Cheers, buddy.